You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Good morning, Life Church Livonia. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And if we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you in person or I'd love to see your name in the chat. Welcome to our new series we're starting here at Life Church Livonia, Lost Cause. This is a series on the book of Jonah, and in the book of Jonah, we clearly see God's heart for the lost, as he calls Jonah to evangelize to people whom Jonah considers a lost cause. In the midst of national wounds, of racial tensions, of great reluctance, and even greater movements of God, we see God move in through and in spite of Jonah to see the lost people of Nineveh turn in repentance to salvation in the Lord. Today, God's cause is still for the lost. And like Jonah, he's called you and he has called me to make our cause Jesus's cause because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So this series is going to be a four-week series as we move through the book of Jonah one chapter at a time. Uh, Growing up in the Rahill household, there was a game that we played uh, that was famous, even infamous in our house. This game was a legendary game. It was a game where adrenaline ran high, where bodies were tested, where the bonds of brotherhood were pushed to their very limits. It was a game where fears were faced, where boys became men, and where men aspired to become Jedi. This game was called Star Wars Freeze Tag. And I looked all over for a picture of this game. I haven't found one yet, but if I do, I'll let you know. Now, when my family was living at Bear Lake Bible Camp, I might have been six at the time, my brother Dylan four, this house that we lived in had an upstairs, and the upstairs had a long hallway, okay? I want you to imagine you walk up the stairs, you turn to your right, there's this long hallway. And in that hallway, there were four doors that came off the left side of the hallway, and two doors that came off the right side of the hallway. There was a closet, a bedroom, a bathroom, and a bedroom, and then there were two more bedrooms. So there was these six doors, these four bedrooms, a bathroom, and the closet. And the premise of the game was simple. Every door upstairs would be closed, so it was a hallway of doors. All the lights in every room would be off, so it was eerie and creepy. And in one room lay Princess Leia, our job to rescue her. Our mission to bring her home safely. Now, Princess Leia was whatever stuffed animal we happened to dub Princess Leia that day. Some days she was a panda bear, some days she was a teddy bear, some days she was something else, you know, whatever. But Princess Leia lay in one room. In another room was the legendary lightsaber with which we could defend ourselves from the embodiment of all evil. My father. You see, my dad would dress up in all of our costumes and capes, and he'd be this mix of the snow monster from The Empire Strikes Back and Darth Vader. You know, I'll call him Darth Snow Monster for our purposes today. But uh, he would hide the lightsaber in one of the rooms off this hallway. Princess Leia would be in a different room, and he would be in a third room. And the goal of the game was to save Princess Leia and not get captured by Darth Snow, snow Monster. Now... When we knew that the game was all set, when the doors were closed, lights were turned off, and my brother and I would just sit at the top of the stairs, looking down the hallway, 
kind of arguing to each other like, you go first. No, dude, you go first. You go first. Wondering which one of us was going to be brave enough to open that first door and see what lay behind it. Man, we would sit at the top of that stairs for what felt like hours trying to deliberate or trick each other into making the first move. And there were so many good memories. I remember one time <laughs> our little buddy Robbie Tissett, my brother Dylan convinced Robbie it was in his best interest to go sacrifice himself for the team by just going one door at a time and opening all of them. And for some, I don't know how we convinced him, but Dylan was like, Robbie, this is your job, man. Do it for the team. And Robbie's like, oh, okay. And you know, he walks up to the first door and he grabs the knob, handshake, he goes, turns around, guys, I'm scared. And he was like, you can do it, Robbie. It's for Princess Leia. <laughs> Another time, Dylan and I were in a fight. We were fighting about who's going to go first, probably calling each other names like Scaredy Cat and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, I don't remember why anymore, Dylan really ticked me off. And he was the step above me, and I was maybe two steps below. We're both kind of looking down the hallway. And Dylan was just had so frustrated me, I had resolved to myself, at the first opportunity, I'm going to get you back. And so, sure enough, he was looking down the hallway. We're talking about which room we might, we think our dad might be in. And he's like, okay. And he turns around to say something to me. And right as he turns around, I was like, this is my moment. So I open my eyes wide. I point with all the fear I can muster, the fake fear. And I scream, Dylan, there's dad. And Dylan, without missing a beat, screams and leaps from the very top of the staircase. And in my little six-year-old brain, I thought, I gotcha, you sucker. But as Dylan flew by me, my mouth kind of turning into a smile, ready to make fun of him, I noticed the collar of my shirt begins to follow Dylan. And I looked down and realized that Dylan, in his attempt to save his brother, has grabbed a hold of my shirt as he is falling through the air. And he dragged both of us all the way down. And we smoked the bottom of the stairs, hit the wall at the bottom of the stairs. And I just got up and punched him. And I was like, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that? Despite the bumps, despite the bruises, despite the terror, despite the conflict, we loved Star Wars Freeze Tag. And we kept coming back to it over and over and over again. And the reason I think we loved it so much is that we had a mission. A mission that made us face our fears. A mission that made us come together and work toward a common goal. A mission that made us better. A mission that made us overcome something in ourselves so that we could do something together we couldn't do alone. And that sense of mission tapped into something deep inside our little four and six-year-old bodies, hearts, and minds. Even though the game was pretend, those feelings were real. We were on a mission. We were doing something bigger than ourselves. The desire to participate in a mission bigger than ourselves is so powerful in the heart of every single human being. It's why most of our popular stories revolve around that theme. I mean, think about it. This, uh, this kind of character arc where a group of characters come together, they're tasked with a mission in which they must overcome evil and grow in the process so that they save the world. I mean, that's the story outline of Harry Potter, of the Avengers, of the Lord of the Rings, of the Chronicles of Narnia, of Mission Impossible, of Star Wars. Heck, it's even Dragon Ball Z. You know what I mean? It's just everywhere. We love this story as human beings, and we love hearing it over and over and over again with different faces, different names, but basically the same premise.
These stories are so powerful because they tap into the truth that we were made for mission. You and I were made for mission. Our world is deeply broken. Surprise, right? But God is on the move. He's on the move to heal all death, all destruction, all broken design, and all of creation. In short, God is saving the world. And God made you and I to join him in that mission. You're here on purpose for a purpose. You are here for more than comfort and pleasure. You are here to join God on a mission that is way bigger than you, in which you and I must grow and overcome ourselves so we can overcome a greater evil that has taken place in this place we call earth. The Bible teaches that every single person is held captive by sin. And when we're captive in sin, the natural consequence of that is death. And the Bible describes us when we're captive to sin as being lost. But through Jesus's, uh, receiving Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we are saved from sin and we are set free to move from being lost to being found. We're not just saved from something, though. We're saved for something. Once we believe in and follow Jesus as Lord, the devil can no longer drag us to hell with him, so he changes his tactic. He switches his goal from separation to self-absorption. The devil switches his tactic from separation to self-absorption. The enemy loves it when our whole relationship with God revolves around us. He loves it when uh, our priorities, our needs, our wants, our emotional states trump what God says and what God wants for us. When we treat God as our cosmic secretary, whose supernatural power is there to make us feel better, live easier, smile longer, smile bigger, we totally miss the point. Because we become focused on God helping us in our mission instead of us being focused on helping him in his mission. The enemy wants us to choose comfort over God's mission, self-satisfaction over God's mission, fun over God's mission, entitlement over God's mission, money over God's mission, material things like houses and cars and hobbies over God's mission, addiction over God's mission, the approval of others over God's mission. This is when the Lord is still working on with me. God, uh, the enemy wants us to choose ourselves over God's mission. And so I just want to ask you as we begin today and we begin looking at the story of Jonah, what is it you're tempted to choose over God's mission? You and I were made for mission. And God has a purpose for us that's greater than the other things we want to put above that mission. As we look at the book of Jonah today, God calls Jonah to preach to a people group whom Jonah considers a lost cause. But God's mission is for the lost as Jonah and we are going to find out. As we read through the book, we're going to learn some things from Jonah that we should be doing and some things that we shouldn't be doing. One of the interesting things about the book of Jonah, it's in the Old Testament, and it's amongst a group of books called the Minor Prophets. These are shorter books, usually filled with just the prophecies of the prophet, kind of a chronicling of all the things they said. Jonah is unique in the sense that it's actually not a chronicling of the prophecies of Jonah, it's really a chronicling of Jonah's life as he responds to God's call. The book historically is thought to be written by Jonah during his lifetime. There's some debate on this. There always is in scholarship. But the book opens with this. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went then to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, it's really easy to fly past these first couple verses because they're really short and they're just kind of a premise. They're a setup for everything else that's going to happen. But within these three verses is so much that's going to help us understand the book of Jonah as a whole. We see some main characters introduced. We see Nineveh. We see Tarshish. We see Jonah. We see God. And before we move on from this little introduction, I just want us to answer three questions. Number one, who is Jonah? Number two, who are the Ninevites? And number three, why does Jonah run to Tarshish? So let's start with who is Jonah. This is an interesting question because the book of Jonah is not the only place in the Bible that Jonah is mentioned. There's actually one more place his name comes up as a person living in history. Jesus talks about Jonah, but in the Old Testament, there's a moment in 2 Kings 14.25, and it says this. In the 50th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was, one of the, one, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the, to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai. We know it's the same Jonah because of the son of Amittai part. He is the prophet from Gath-Hefer. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, for he was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. Okay, I know that's a lot of history details. So come back, focus with me. I know you guys are all biblical scholars here, but we got to reel it in, okay? So here's what I want you to see from that. There's a couple things that are really important. Thing number one, Jeroboam II is king in Israel while Jonah's alive. And Jeroboam is an evil and wicked guy. He's not following God. He's leading the Israelites and worshiping God, but in their own way, not in God's way. They're worshiping God in the way they want to, not the ways God has called them to, and God sees that as evil. There's more nuance to that, but that's kind of the general gist of it. Despite this wicked king, though, who's leading Israel, God gives Jonah a word that says, hey, you know that, that part of the promised land that you used to have but got taken over? Hey, Jonah, tell them that I'm going to give it back to them. And so Jonah prophesies that this piece of the promised land is going to be restored to Israel, and then it is. So what does that mean? It means despite Israel's wickedness, this is super important, so focus with me here. Despite Israel's wickedness and their evil ruler, God shows Israel grace and mercy and kindness. And he prophesies this through Jonah. So Jonah would have been well-known and he would have been well-liked and favored because of this prophecy of prosperity instead of judgment. Because Israel right now is not following God. So in the book of Jonah, we see God speak to Jonah a second time. So that happened before Jonah says, hey, God's going to restore this piece of Israel. It happens. Everyone's like, whoa, this is awesome. And now Jonah, or God speaks to Jonah again. But this time, 
His response is to run away instead of preach to Nineveh. Instead of do what God wants, he tries to run to Tarshish. Now, I know lots of you are confident in your ancient geography, but just for my sake, because I'm struggling a little bit with this, let's look at a couple maps, okay? So if we look at a map here, we see here is Gath Heifer, where Jonah's from. Here's Joppa, where Jonah went to sail. And here's Nineveh, <laughs> right? You know what that means? That means there is no sea route to Nineveh. It's a land route. So Jonah, by the fact he's going to Joppa, means that he is trying to get out of town. <clears throat> now, he's trying to get to Tarshish, right? This, if he would have just gone from Gath Heifer to Nineveh, we're talking like that's over 400 miles to get to Nineveh. That's a long way, a couple weeks of journeying. But he's trying to get to Tarshish. So as you can see, Tarshish is not on this map. Let's take a look at a map where we can see Tarshish. All right, so second map, here's Nineveh. <laughs> Here is Tarshish. Oh, man. <clears throat> I mean, he is not just trying to, like, run away. Bro is moving, okay? This is, like, over a thousand miles of travel by sea. He's not just, like, getting out of town until things cool down and God isn't going to ask him to go anymore. He's like, nope, I don't live in Israel anymore. Bye. <laughs> He's just peacing out, man. Why would he do that? I mean, he's a well-liked prophet. He's hearing from God. God is calling him on this important mission. Why would Jonah try to literally, one of the important things to notice here, see this little blue piece at the edge of the screen? Guess what that is? You guessed it. That's the Atlantic Ocean. Okay, so in Jonah's understanding of world geography, Tarshish is literally one of the last places you can go before the end of the world. You track with me? Jonah is trying to run away to the ends of the world instead of go to Nineveh. Why? Why would he do that? How, why does that make sense? Well, we know from history, Jonah's reasons were actually likely valid and quite numerous. First of all, Nineveh is the capital of this uh, country called Assyria. And the Assyrians created the world's first great army and they were the world's first great empire their power this empire that they built in the mediterranean circle it was held together by two factors their superior abilities in siege warfare they were masters at sieging walled cities and winning and the second tactic was sheer unadulterated terror it was a syrian policy always to demand that examples be made of the people that resisted them, and this included deporting entire nations. It also included horrific physical punishments. In relationships to the Jews, archaeologists found these murals called reliefs depicting naked Judeans impaled on poles. It also depicted siege ramps. It depicted um, all these Judean slaves who were conscripted to attack and kill their own countrymen. The heads are chopped off here, but this is, this is real. This is an actual piece of archaeological history in Nineveh. And this is part of a relief called the Lachish Relief, detailing how the Assyrians brutally conquered a Judean city called Lachish. And so this is what the Assyrians were known for. They were brutal and harsh overloads, or overlords. They would even skin people and then hang their skins on spears outside of cities just to show what, how powerful they were. I mean, just brutal. 
Although this kind of officially sanctioned violence and cruelty was a double-edged sword because even though they conquered a lot of land, they were also constantly dealing with rebellions because of how intense their physical violence was. So Jonah's hatred toward the Assyrians is in part because there were deep wounds of trauma from war between the Jews and the Assyrians due to these horrific acts of violence. And that alone would be enough. But there's another layer to why Jonah hates the, the Ninevites and the Assyrians. Nineveh was the location of one of the largest temples of the goddess Ishtar. Ishtar was the goddess of three things, love, sex, and war, all wrapped into one. And the worship of Ishtar was part of why the Assyrians were so brutal in war. It was honoring to their god to be this brutal to people. But the worship of Ishtar also included sexual practices that violated God's law. The priests of Ishtar would cross-dress, they would practice homosexuality, they would initiate sexual acts with temple prostitutes, and part of the worship was engaging in sex with temple prostitutes. This kind of worship wasn't just for priests, it was for all practitioners who followed Ishtar. So it wasn't just a matter of pain and violence and international trauma from war crimes, there were deep ideological rifts between the Jews and the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were opposed to the Jews militarily, culturally, and morally. So Jonah's people have been deeply wounded by this group who are culturally and ideologically at total odds with God's people. And Jonah's response is he demonizes the whole group. Jonah holds a racial animosity toward the Assyrian people. To Jonah, and I would imagine to Israel as a whole, the Assyrians weren't a people. The Assyrians were those people. You know what I'm talking about? The godless people, the wicked people, the evil people, the undeserving people. To Jonah, the Assyrians were less than. And they were likely the worst people he could think of, the Nazis of his day, if you will. We often point to the Nazis as like, oh, well, the, I mean, I wasn't a Nazi, or, oh, you're being a Nazi. It's just like the worst kind of person we can imagine. That's kind of like the attitude toward the Assyrians. And it's to those people that God calls Jonah to go and preach. And Jonah decides he's going to run. And in chapters 3 and 4, we find out why. Because Jonah knows God wants to give the Ninevites grace. And Jonah hates the Ninevites, and he doesn't want them to have grace. He wants them to have justice. And it's this conflict, this anger, this hatred, this disgust, this historical pain, and even a righteous desire for justice that caused Jonah to try to run to the ends of the world in the opposite direction. But here's the deal. Jonah's not the only one with a Nineveh. All of us have a Nineveh. All of us have a Nineveh. All of us have the person or the people group that are those people to us. The people who are so wrong, so offensive, so hurtful that we just want them to get what they deserve. They need to answer for what they've done because they're messing up my world and they're messing up the world. Maybe for you, your Nineveh is one of or both of your parents. Maybe for you, it's a family member who hurt you the deepest or hurt your family the deepest. Maybe for you it's a bully from school or on social media. Maybe it's an ex. Maybe your Nineveh is the other side of the political aisle, the Republicans, the Democrats, the woke far left, the militant alt-right. Maybe your Nineveh is conservative Christians 
or progressive Christians. Maybe the group you morally disagree with the most is due to sexual or cultural or religious behaviors and beliefs. All of us have a Nineveh. Jonah wants Nineveh to, be, uh, to experience justice. And here's the funny thing. They will. God is a God of justice. And justice is sure to come. But God loves Nineveh. And he doesn't want their sin to destroy them. He wants to transform them. Here's what Jonah doesn't know yet. God's not giving Nineveh a pass on their sin, but he does want to give them a chance to repent. Just like he did with Israel, right? Jonah's last prophecy towards Israel was God having mercy on this wicked people group. But the Bible says Israel was wicked at this time, and yet God has mercy on them and shows them grace. We'll talk more about this in two weeks, but in a generation, God is going to send another prophet named Nahum. And Nahum is going to preach judgment and justice on Nineveh. But right now, that's not Jonah's message. Jonah's message is a message of invitation to grace and repentance before the judgment and justice come. And Jonah doesn't know this yet either. But the Assyrians, the people he hates, they're actually going to take over Israel. And they're going to exile Israel because of Israel's sin. And Israel doesn't repent of their sin. And so here what we have going on is uh, God is trying to get Jonah to give the grace that Jonah's received. Jonah's received mercy and grace from God, but when it comes time to give it to his enemies, he says, I'm out. I'm not doing this. No. And God is trying to save Nineveh and Jonah because God loves Nineveh. And he does not want to destroy them. He wants to transform them. And God loves Jonah. And he doesn't want to destroy Jonah and Israel. He wants to transform them. God is trying to save not just Nineveh, but Jonah from a shallow religion, a religion that receives grace, but is unwilling to give it. So God calls Jonah to go and preach to his enemies. And this is what happens next. We'll pick up and we're going to read the rest of the chapter now. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind to the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Notice here, there's a crisis going on. The sailors start calling out to gods that Jonah knows are false gods. And Jonah's response, instead of saying, hey, let's pray to the true God. I know the true God, he can do something about this. Jonah tries to peace out, fall asleep, and wait till it passes. Then the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. That last line is really important, because despite Jonah's disobedience, his running, his disengagement, God is still bringing lost people like these sailors to find him because God's cause is for the lost. His cause is for you. His cause is for the sailors. His cause is for me. His cause is for Jonah. And his cause is for the Ninevites. The story of Jonah, like I said, is not just about God transforming Nineveh. It's about God wanting to transform Jonah by changing Jonah into the kind of person. Jonah right now is willing to receive grace, but Jonah is not willing to go on God's mission. He just wants God's mercy. And God sees that as shallow. It's immature. It's not what he wants. He doesn't just want Jonah to receive his mercy. He wants Jonah to give his mercy, and he wants Jonah to be kind, become the kind of person who can love his enemies. Because when we compare Jonah to Jesus, we see something very disparate, right? Jonah's running from his enemies to the other side of the world, unwilling to give grace. But when we see Jesus, we see Jesus coming down, incarnating, giving up power, rights, status, and glory in heaven to become weak and vulnerable and live among his enemies in order to reconcile them into his family. When Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but the disciples that surround him, the people he's talking to, even his own family members, are all theologically still enemies of God because no one has been reconciled to God through the cross yet. The cross hasn't happened. Jesus loved his enemies. And he came to make them family by taking their sins upon himself so that he could hold justice and mercy perfectly in balance. God wants to make us like Jesus, which means God will inevitably call all of us at some point to love our Nineveh. This is just part of spiritual maturity. God doesn't want you just to simply believe rightly, but to live rightly, to offer the grace and mercy we've received in Jesus to the people we think are the worst. He wants you to live like him. So let me ask, who is your Nineveh? Who is it that God might wanting to be send, uh, sending you to in this season? Like the sailors, there are people who are looking for answers. There are people who are looking for hope. There are people who are looking for relief, looking for God in your circle of influence and in mine. Some of them are your Nineveh and some are not. Jesus says in the Gospels, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Meaning that God wants to bring lots of people, lots of lost people to be found, broken people to be healed. He wants to bring salvation to the world that we might have righteousness by believing in Jesus and following him as Lord. But he's concerned when he says this, that he doesn't have enough people to make, uh, to bring in all the lost people that he sees. There's this harvest of salvation, but not enough workers. And Life Church Livonia, let me tell you, my prayer and our goal as the staff this fall 
is that that would not be true at Life Church Livonia, that there would be an abundance of workers who are saying, Lord, send me wherever you want to go. I'm willing to go. What's the harvest, Lord? I'm here. That there would be people in our church so that there would not be a shortage of workers for what God wants to do in and through our church and in Metro Detroit this fall. And unto that end, we've created this fall plan that we are committed to, to be on mission with Jesus. And I want to invite you to be a part of it. The first thing we're doing outside of this series is we are doing two mission meetings. The first one coming up this Wednesday. And the mission meetings are a place where we are preparing ourselves with skills, with community, and with the prayer necessary to join God on his mission this fall. The second thing is that those mission meetings are leading up to our cider mill experience. Livonia doesn't have a cider mill. A lot of the cider mills around here get super busy in the fall. This is a simple way we're trying to bless our community and we're trying to create an easy place where our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances, neighbors, coworkers, even our enemies, people who are far from God could come and get a taste of people who love Jesus and go, wow, this is great. Man, they really care about me and my family. This is awesome. I really, really, really want you to invite as many people as possible to that event, especially the people on your France list, which we're going to get to in a second. The next thing we're doing is baptisms that very next Sunday to celebrate the fruit God is bearing at our church, to share people's testimony, and to witness to ourselves, our last family, our friends, that the word, uh, that God's movement <clears throat> is uh, moving through people and transforming people. After that, we're going to do two more mission meetings. We're going to bring new folks into community. We're going to continue to equip and engage uh, so that we might be fully equipped to do what God wants to do this fall. And each of the mission meetings has different topics. I didn't you know, remember to say that, but each of them is different. So just because you come to one doesn't mean you shouldn't come to the others. We are, they're building on each other all throughout the fall. This is going to take us up to Trunk or Treat, which is going to happen on October 29th, where we create a safe, fun, non-scary environment for parents to take their kids trick-or-treating. And every year we have hundreds of folks from the community come to our church for this event. We are looking at the fall not just as another season, but a season of harvest in which Jesus is inviting us to join him in his lost cause. God wants to bear fruit in our midst to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and transform both us and our community. And here's your next step if you want to join that mission. First, I want you to get a frank list. See what we did there? We've called these frank lists or frank lists up to this point, but we've changed the name. I've been thinking about adding enemies for a little while <clears throat> to this list. And with the series on the book of Jonah, it just seemed like a perfect opportunity. So we're no more going to be doing our Frank lists. Now we're going to be doing our France lists to include our enemies. And so the first thing that we're going to do as a church is we're going to begin with prayer. And I want to begin with prayer right now. I want you to, you can download this from our digital bulletin. There's a link there. <clears throat> and I want to encourage you just to simply pray with me right now and go, Lord, who in my circle of influence do you want me to be fighting for in prayer so that they might come to know you? Which of my friends, Lord, and his names and faces come to mind? Just write those down. Which of my relatives, Father? Which of my acquaintances? Holy Spirit, bring my neighbors to mind that you want to come, that you want to come to know you this fall. Bring my coworkers to mind. Lord, finally, who are the people that would think of me as an enemy or that I feel opposed to. 
Lord, which names and faces do you want me to be fighting for in prayer? Father, find me faithful and show me how to partner with you in bringing them to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's the very first thing I want you to do if you want to partner with us on the mission that we believe God has for us this fall. The second thing I want you to do is to come to both of our mission meetings. First one's this Wednesday. RSVP for that on the digital bulletin. Lastly, there may be some of you here this morning who don't know Jesus. Or maybe like Israel in the book of Jonah, <clears throat> you believe in God, but you've been doing your own thing. And you've been asking God to conform to your ways and will instead of you conforming to his ways and will. And if you're either one of those, here's what I want you to know. God loves you. God loves you. And you've sinned. And I've sinned. And that sin separates us from God. And that's the, it's a, the image given in the New Testament is like, imagine a tree or a vine. And we are branches on that vine. And sin cuts us off from that. And when that happens... We die because we're not connected to life anymore. But we serve a God so loving and so just that he decided he would take the punishment for all of our sins upon himself so that we might be reconciled to him instead of seeing uh, us suffer and seeing us die in our sin and seeing us be gone from him forever. God loves you so much that he would rather take the punishment for all your sins upon himself than live in a world without you in it because you had to pay for your own sins. This is the gospel. Jesus is God and he came from heaven to earth to live a perfect life as a human being. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose again to give us life and life in all of its fullness. And Jesus is reaching out to you, offering that life to you today, whether you've never had a relationship with him or whether you know and believe in God, but you just have been doing your own thing. This is a call, friends, to repent to drop the things you've been carrying, to drop the agenda you've been having, and to turn and follow Jesus in Jesus' way of life. I want to invite you into that. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me right now. Lord, I've done things my own way. Forgive me. I've asked you, Lord, to conform to what I want and not the other way around. Lord, I pray that you'd transform me. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help me to feel your love for me today. And that, Lord Jesus, you would move inside of me. I pray your Holy Spirit would enter my heart right now, Lord, and that you would bring this life and life to the full. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. And, Lord, I want to live in that. Show me what's next. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you just prayed with me, I really want you to reach out to us via our digital bulletin, and I want to encourage you to sign up for one of our mission meetings. God bless, and I can't wait to see you next week for week two in this series on the book of Jonah, Lost Cause.